Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy podcast. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about the debut album from baritone saxophone phenom, Paul Nedzella. We chat about intonation and how to make yours better, and in the book club section, we talk about Zen and the art of archery and how it might apply to your saxophone practice. And you might have noticed that the weather is changing and the fall season is upon us. So if you'd like to be warm and support the podcast, you can check out our new selection of long sleeve tees and hoodies, all emblazoned with the Saxophone Academy logo. You can check it out at tpublic.com slash saxacademy or check the link in the show notes. Thanks so much and we hope you enjoy the episode. Well, yeah, ever since I made fun of his creaking and cracking. Or doctoring your bedside. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to win oh, boxing so gloves. Many. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not sure I would win, so I, yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I have an escape hatch right there. We'll so, gang up on it. Good semester, busy semester. Yeah, it's a busy semester, but it's all good. Yeah? Yeah, it's all right. I had a bit of a... I'm teaching my career development class for the, I don't know how many times, wow, 16th, 17th time. I was going to say, you've taught that Every a semester long since time. 2011. Yeah, man. And this semester was a little worrying because the first week of class, we I have all my students do their five-year vision where they write about what their perfect day would look like in five years. Wow. And half, almost half the class wrote, I'll be a college professor. And I thought, oh, <gasps> yeah. In five years? Well, or After that's their, take, oh, or that, on but the that's path. Their, oh. Yeah, so half my class wants to be college professors. And okay. so this is going to be challenging, but they're great kids. I'm sure they're great kids. Yeah. So we'll see how oh, that pans boy. out. Yeah. Well, they might, some of them might be, but boy, they need some other options. Yeah, I know. Like, and being, they have no idea how many years they're oh, going to be on that path. They, should, look, I, wow, they need to take the yeah. easy path and become concert saxophonists. that's hilarious so yeah i know dashing hope and dreams since early 2019 this podcast yeah so yeah wally some interesting things going on in the world yeah indeed i I wanted to start with something i discovered and i shared with you yeah Uh, and once again we're making fun of fun of old man eb um director of the miles davis jesse's program he (laughs) shared a recording uh with me that i've kind of fallen in love with and a saxophonist name Paul Nedzella. Yeah. So Paul Nedzella is, he's got a brand new CD out and it's called Introducing Paul Nedzella, which makes sense because he's Paul Nedzella. It would be very strange. <laughs> but it's his debut album. Yeah. And this is a fairly... Probably his debut al- album as like a, a leader, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he may have re- other recording credits. I'm um, looking at his bio. He's played with Holy anyone. Holy cow. Cast of thousands. Yes. And uh, speaking of math earlier, we weren't rolling then. Uh, he uh, is a guy from New York. Yeah. A young guy that in 2006 got his bachelor's from McGill University, which I believe is in Canada, it, Canada it's in land. Montreal, Montreal. Montreal, or practice France, as I call it. Practice France. And mathematics. I saw that, and I did yeah. a little happy dance. I'm like, woohoo. I know, so you and he have that another, in common. Yeah, another Smarty math pants music. People. Yes. I don't know, just geeks on two fronts. <laughs> I, too, can spell the word math. Um, this is his debut album, and he's the guy that uh, then went on to, after the math degree to study a master's at Juilliard, Yeah, and now plays with jazz at Lincoln Center. Yeah, not and, bad, eh? And I was incredibly attracted to this recording because it's so steeped in the tradition 
yeah. of jazz. Um, there's not crazy meters, and his extensions don't have extensions. And, <laughs> and it, I just will say, and see if you agree with this, the whole top to bottom, it just swings like crazy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was super fun and really great. And the thing that was interesting for me was that I didn't recognize any of the tunes, so I think they're they're originals. Six are originals. Okay. Of the roughly nine or ten. Yeah. I didn't have the guts to ask him which because I was making sure there wasn't a standard on there I should have known. I know. That's what I kept thinking. Oh, this is going to be really embarrassing. I should know these tunes. I know, but it's nothing but, like, I didn't uh, like, hey, Paul, this all of me, you wrote this too? No, there's nothing. So <laughs> Misty, isn't that his? Yeah. So no, he, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's not on there. He wrote six of them, <laughs> but I didn't have the guts to ask um, which ones. Okay. And you know, that's the thing when you're listening on, what did I use? I don't even remember. Did I use Spotify or what I did Spotify. I do? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, of course you don't line liner notes or program notes right. and stuff. That's one thing that and I, there, I, I don't really think there miss. are liner notes for this yeah. one. I, I reached out and asked him. Super nice fella. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know the guy, but boy, can he sure play a Barry sax. Holy oh cow. yeah. So we should say, uh, and Paul is a baritone saxophonist yeah. um, through and through. And he's studied with some of the great baritone saxophonists as well. Yeah. Um, but he has a, a sound all his own. I think it has this kind of cool, just traditional retro feel. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. It's, yeah, it's not. I hope harsh. he wouldn't take that as a negative. No, I mean, no, yeah, that's I mean it has great. all the warmth and kind of uh, of breadth of sound that I that some of my favorite players. It's not quite the cool school of like a Jerry Mulligan, um, but well, I absolutely love his sound. His sound is really awesome, and it's funny because with the Barry, you know, sometimes. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Sometimes the sound is just kind of raspy and unfocused yeah, and yeah. a little spread, just because kind of the because we're saxophone nerds. We can. Well, this is not yeah. a jazz podcast, so we can talk about the, the nerdy parts. It's yeah. strong. Would you say it's kind of strong in the fundamental? His tone. Yeah. So um, I mean, you know, you wouldn't necessarily realize it was a berry until you listened for a while. You might think at first it was a tenor. It's just it is, beautiful. Or yeah. just a gorgeous sound. It's it doesn't matter sound. what instrument. It yeah, is. it's not one of the, some of the kind of aggressive players that it's like half the higher overtones and yeah. yeah. And it's, I don't mind that either. Yeah. But I was really impressed that he could it's play beautiful. the berry sax with that sound. Yeah, 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 it was really beautiful. Awesome. A lot Great of the tunes playing. are swinging. He's wow. got technique out the wazoo. Yeah, but he's not afraid to just play a tune. I know, and, and I was great lines. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And um, I think my favorite one here was actually, I, well, I didn't think I'd say this on a Monday morning, huh. um, <laughs> is a baritone saxophone playing a ballad, yeah. um, the tune My Ship. And it's just the breathy singing nature that he gets yeah and it's a beautiful tune um and he just plays so musically and yeah. being that he got his degree in 2006 he can't be particularly old i don't think well, he's relatively young he's guy. really young guy yeah. which excites All's me relative yeah <laughs> <laughs> certainly younger than me but I, i'm excited really if cool. this is the the debut album i'm really excited to hear more from from Paul Nedzella. And yeah. uh, if you're ever in New York, I would definitely, he's playing all the time if you look at his upcoming dates. Oh, yeah. Uh, and with Jazz at Lincoln Center. So. And he's good at math. So, I mean, he's a good guy. All you can't around. be good at math and be a bad person, can you? <laughs> Let's not go there. So, <laughs> listeners, if you know any <laughs> sociopaths that were good at mathematics, or I, who knows, maybe oh, maybe gosh. Pol Pot had a, a degree know. in math. We don't anyway, know. Anyway, so yeah, he's yeah, probably us and let us relatively know. intelligent too. Yeah, <laughs> not a typical dumb musician. Yeah. Well, yeah. What I like when I, was, when I read the bio, I was like, oh, I hope this isn't like those nerdy, crazy meter uh, mathematically. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was just no, yeah. really just swinging. And I it really, was swinging. Yeah, and a great sound, fun tunes, and um, I listened through a couple times. 
cool. Occasionally, someone will send us a recording, and I listen through once, and then yeah. we think, hey, let's not review that. We will not name names. No, of uh, course not. Yeah, but this is one of those ones where I <laughs> no, uh, you know, was going about here. my business during the day, had it in the background, and had it in the car, and I, I really hey, enjoyed that. I wanted to have another, another listen yeah. to. So That's introducing awesome. Paul Nedzella, um, great album. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, you can check it out on Spotify or buy it. I don't know if it's available on vinyl. Maybe I'll beg know. him to yeah. release it on vinyl because I would like that record. Yeah. So congratulations, Paul. Excellent album that yeah. I've enjoying listening Indeed. to. Way to go. There's also other cool stuff in the world. What's been going on? Well, you know, it's time for the Van Dorn Emerging Artist Competition. What is that, Sue? It's the Van Dorn Emerging <laughs> Artist Competition. This is the 10th annual Van, Dor- Van Dorn Emerging Artist Competition. So they have a competition for clarinet, jazz saxophone, and classical saxophone. Let's see. Um, there is an age limit on this. I'm going to look on the back. You have to be between the ages of 18 and 23 at the time of application. So it's for a basically college age people. Right. So they're trying to identify, you know, up and coming artists in all these fields. So it's been going on. What if you're only for a few years? What now. if you're only as responsible as an 18 year old? Does that qualify? Yeah, I think that should qualify, but I don't think it does. Oh, okay. I think you, you actually, actually have, to, have to. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. Measured in Julian calendar years. And you years. do have to be a U.S. resident. Okay, so or residing in the U.S. And we do so have a lot a of U.S. Student. college kids as yeah. listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to, it's a high level competition. I've judged it a couple of times, the classical yeah. saxophone one and the level's pretty darn high. Cause if you imagine up to age 23, so you're talking master's students, yeah. probably even some DMA students would fall under that. If they went straight through, they could, if yeah. they went straight through, they'd be that age. So you're talking about some pretty advanced players, but you know, we've talked about this before on the show. If you want to enter the competition just as a way of motivating yourself to prepare a couple of pieces at the highest level right. you can, go for it. So this year for classical saxophone, you've got to play just the first movement of Pierre-Max Dubois' concerto and just the second movement, that gorgeous second movement from Albright's Sonata, oh, yeah. The Lament, and then some contrasting work of your choice. So everybody's got some work they've completed or played with piano or yeah. performed. So relatively easy. List of repertoire, and that's it. Okay, so this is a strictly classical competition. There is a jazz one. Oh, for there's the, a jazz one, yeah, too. Yeah, okay. so for the jazz one, let's see, what's it say? Oh, it could be jazz clarinet or saxophone. I thought it was just saxophone. Cool. Um, one ballad, one medium tempo, and one up-tempo song. And they've got a list of ballads to choose from, and a list of medium tempo to choose from, and a list of up-tempo. Okay, so you choose, like, it's like Yeah, ordering, one from each like of the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah there just, you go. Excellent. So, Moonlight in Vermont, you could do. I'm getting sentimental over you. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, you mean that's one love of the for tunes. Sale. Okay. Oh, Ooh, I love that tune. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of standards, yeah. and you get to pick anyway, and choose, and yeah, so that's you, awesome. the application um, portal is open now. If you just d- Google Van Doren Emerging Artist Competition, you'll find it. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Deadline is December sixth. So oh, they got plenty of time. time. Yes, yeah. I love that that they open this so early, and the winners will be announced. January fifteenth. Okay, that's and a quick turnaround. It's, yeah, it's it's an your your audio is the entire competition. There's no live round. It's all done on the. Do the, they have any any like requirements for like no editing or things like that? Um, you know, it doesn't really say. But in the spirit of a recorded cut, yeah, of the thing you would you would do unedited, but it doesn't specifically say that. So okay. I can ask my people. So if you're young and American <laughs> and in college, this would yeah. be a good thing for you to look at. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, why not? That's a relatively easy list of stuff to prepare. Yeah. And you've got between now and December 6th to get it uploaded. Yeah. You need something to play for your lessons anyway. Yeah. Why not, why not just make a recording <laughs> and upload it? Yeah, yeah. And you would record it with piano, and what, do, what do you win if you win it? What do, you, oh, what do they give you? you? Fame, fortune? Of course. <laughs> the grand prize is um, travel to Paris to visit 56 Rue Le Pique, Le Pique the home of Van Doren. Yeah. Uh, you'll perform at the 2020 Music for All National Festival, premiering a commissioned work Ooh. that gets written for it. And you'll receive $1,000 and a Van Doren product package, including a mouthpiece ligature and read. Second prize is $250 and a Van Doren product package. That's hard to say, Wally. And third Peter prize Piper a is just the Peter Piper picked, picked a, a package a of Van Doren stuff. Van Doren product package. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, anyway, we'll put a link in the yeah. show notes and apply if you're young. Um, I also put a link in the show notes. The Army Field Band has an opening. Oh, awesome. And I believe that'll be a recording first round. I'll get more information. I just saw it, so I'll put a link in the show okay. notes. So if you actually want a job job and you're older than these these yeah. youths that are doing the Van Doren competition, I'll put a link in the show notes there, too. If you're an American. Something for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And Army basic training is just fun. I recommend it. Okay. It's, it's paid exercise when I there did it. There you go. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah. So competitions. And Competitions. jobs, all sorts of cool stuff going yeah. on in the world. Um, now, in the studio, yes, to make you better players, dear listener, uh. to make us better teachers in thinking about this differently, you had a topic that we haven't discussed yet. I find it hard to believe that we haven't discussed this. We've been avoiding listen, it, listen, no Listening to some of my recordings in the past, I believe we haven't discussed <laughs> it yet. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so today's topic is tuning or intonation. intonation. Oh, yeah. boy. You should play in tune. <laughs> There we go. Well, that that does it it for this episode. Thanks, everybody. In tune with what, right? Now, we've talked about that before that in in the, especially in the classical world, or in the the jazz world too, as both worlds are getting more complex, players are getting better and better, it feels like the young player coming up today has to learn a million things. They either have to learn a million extended techniques and incredibly hard literature in the classical world, or in the jazz world. They're trying to play faster, higher, into the altissimo, and over more complex chord changes. And some of these guys in New York and places like that are trying to play all this in mixed meter. And and some of the fundamentals are slipping through the cracks. Seems like it sometimes. Things like sound and intonation. Sound and intonation. And we've talked about, and we'll continue to talk about uh, tone and this sort of things. But wanted to, to focus on intonation. Intonation, yeah. And is it me or is it especially challenging for saxophonists? Um, Not because of intelligence issues, but because of... I think that I have come to believe that it's not really any harder on the saxophone than on any other flexible pitch instrument. It's just for some reason, um, we just allow ourselves not to focus on it at a young enough age like we should. It's not really that different from... You think about flute has its tendencies and oboe and certainly violin if you miss a little with your finger you're going to be out of tune right plus there's the fact that depending on the context the pitch goes a different place right right so if you're playing the major third we've talked about this about right. the root you're you're you've got to put that note someplace different than if you're you know Playing the fifth. Right. So, yeah, More like all, instru- all instruments have to do this. So even if yeah. you have like this, the best. Unless you play the piano, then you can just say, well, I can't do there anything it about it. They should <laughs> really still, Or the marimba yeah. or the, you know, some fixed pitch instrument. You don't right. have to really worry about tuning in the sense of there's not really yeah. anything I mean, you can the, do about it. I mean, the saxophone, I guess, has a, 
a uh, reputation for being an out of tune, more yeah, out of tune. Yeah, you hear that comment a lot. And that, that's probably a little bit why I'm hemming and hawing here because I'm like, I think that's a really unfair comment. I but, hear that all the time. Like, yeah, the best like, saxophone's more out of tune than the worst clarinet. Well, I know that's definitely not true. <laughs> well, I hear things, Oops. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, people say things like that. And it's like, well, okay. So maybe our level of playing just has to get higher. Yeah. But I would say our best players play everybody as well in tune as, as the, you know, good players oh, in any other sure instrument. Oh, for sure, Z's. For yeah. sure, Z's. But yeah, you can, play a, you can play a saxophone pretty out of tune if you just blow into it. Maybe the thing is the, the, the instrument's pretty easy to get a sound out of. I've heard it, <laughs> it described as the easiest instrument to play badly. Yeah, well, maybe so therein lies the crux of the yeah. matter, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you have students, or when do you start teaching intonation and how? Um, I start playing easy duets with my students when they're really young. And if notes are out of tune, I find I usually don't even have to say anything. So I recommend doing, you know, there's those little duets in the lesson books. I love those. Don't skip them. Yeah. Play them with your students. And, you know, if they're sitting on a note and it's really out of tune, usually unless they really can't hear pitch very well, which is, if that's the case, they're probably not going to end up being a musician right. anyway. But most people can hear the pitch and make them adjust right then. I think make day them do one, uh, look, don't let them get used to hearing it. Yeah, so exactly. Tune. So from day yeah. one, play with your students. And they're like, hey, oh, do you yeah. hear that little warble? Here, that doesn't yeah. match. How can yeah. we make that match? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can just check that really, really early. The thing is, that a little, it can be a little bit hard to pick up on it. Um, unless it's really bad <laughs> when they're playing by themselves. But when it's you play with tell. them, you're like, oh, whoops. Yeah. Right. If they're, if they're 10 cents off one way or the other without, yeah. uh, without a context, it's difficult yeah, to tell. Yeah, you can't Just really tell. You know, teach them that that, that middle D with the octave key is going to be sharp because they're going to hear that. And they start getting used to the way that sounds. Yeah, and then just put it where it has to. You don't even tell them what to do. They know what to do. Sometimes you have out. to tell them, but they usually can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think, yeah, we need to start the day one, which means... The saxophone teachers that aren't having their instruments out with their students are doing a big disservice. Oh, yeah. you got to get your horn out. Because also for sound, I think in that very, very first month of lessons, right. almost the most important thing you can do is just get some kind of sound concept going right. in their heads. It's that, that thing we've been talking about with the inner game of tennis. I mean, it's really more about imagining what you want to sound like right. and just, just observing what you sound like and trying to make what you sound like be closer to what you want to sound like and you don't need to micromanage every little thing you're doing with right. your lip i'm not saying that a teacher doesn't have to you know correct uh incorrect technique but yeah there's a lot you can do with a with a student who by just getting out of their way a little bit right but yet having that reference that model yeah. for them to shoot for yeah uh, and you're, you're right yeah. i don't I love playing duets with my students. I've always well, loved it. Well, it's fun too, it and then so they're making fun. they're making music uh, really early, like after a month or right. even less than that. There are these really simple duets that but are they sound neat. Da, dee. You right, know, you just play these half notes with them, and it's and they're like, "Woo, harmony!" I know, and if, so and if cool. you're trying to build a private studio, one of the things I love to do is so I'd save the duets for the last few minutes of, of yeah. lessons, and I would go grab, "Hey, mom or dad, get in here, check this yeah. out." So cram mom and dad in the studio. And like make them be in an audience and like the parents think it's neat. The kids feel yeah. like they're performing and yeah, they're playing with their teacher. They're playing with a professional and, musician yeah. 
every well, lesson. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you're more advanced, there really isn't any substitute for, you know, doing some work with a tuner. Right. And you know, again, you don't always play with the needle straight up and down on every note at every moment when you're playing with a quartet or in a duo or with mm-hmm. piano, you have to place the notes in different places, but it's super helpful <laughs> for a reference point, right? Now, to a know, tuner will get you in the ballpark. Yeah. What I, what do I have to do on a high C right. to get that needle not to be whoop, you know, 45 degrees over to the right? <laughs> well, obviously you pull your mouthpiece out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. On right. every note I'm going to yeah, do yeah, that. Just, yeah. 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 You just, so you have to change your mouthpiece with it. No, of course. And we not. teach ourselves bad tuning because we play this instrument and we just accept what comes out right. of it. And the instrument will kind of tend to teach us, you know, incorrect placement of pitch. I don't know if I ever told you about this, this story when I was in a lesson with Lundex and uh-huh. I, I played a note and he said, that's sharp. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, well, play it again. And I played it again. He's like, that's sharp. I'm like, wow, it sounded fine to me. And then he said, well, sing it. And I sang it. And it was sharp. And he's like, that's sharp. You, the saxophone has taught you to put that note in the oh. wrong place. So that he advocated very strongly for, you know, spend some time with the tuner so you see where it should be and retrain your ear a little bit to hear it in the quote unquote right place. Now, even right. temper, it isn't exactly always, you know, but it's, it is definitely a good place to start, and you should be able to hear that. Yes, get you in the ballpark. Yeah, because yeah, I, in, early in my career, I started to, not my career, but in early in my training, I learned to, because I played on a Busher, 1924 oh, vintage yeah. horn that was horribly no out of tune. Way. Yeah. And so it trained me to hear the pitches incorrectly. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. And that was problematic. I mean, it's difficult to relearn, frankly. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> it sounds right to you. <laughs> yeah. But as you've mentioned before, I will not recount the story, but we've both been in situations where someone will have their tuner out like, well, I'm in tune. Yes. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense because, right. so I like to advocate, I actually um, very rarely use a tuner mm-hmm. with the needle, but I love using a tuner for the drones. Oh yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I yeah. love doing an exercise where you put on the drone and have the students play the different intervals with the drone. Yep. It, it sounds like bagpipes at times. You it's, could it's use yourself as the drone too. Yeah, or have the, the yeah, have the teacher doing the drones. <laughs> and I like that because you think, well, what if what if your you as a drone aren't perfectly in tune? Great. Yeah. Because when you get out of the working world or even your high school band, you're not always in A440. Yeah. And so if you're always training yourself to look at the needle at A440, if those of us who have ever played concertos with high school bands, <laughs> if you're half hour into that band concert on their stage of baking under the light with 150 <laughs> kids, you ain't going to be at A440. Oh, no. <laughs> you probably climbed 20 cents. Yep. Um, you know, and you have to play in tune with where that rough center is. Yeah. Or, you know, it, yeah. and pitch shifts. Or if yeah, you sure play does. in Europe, it's different. So, like, I think yeah. we have to not train ourselves to look at right. the needle. Yep. We have to train to play. And as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's contextual. So that major third of a chord, we lower. Yeah. And in a melodic line, that seventh, we may want to pull up a little bit for tension. Right. So I think drones and playing duets is, is the way That's to teach That's great. It. And, and we, playing in a quartet's different than playing with piano. Oh, my, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so different. First time I get together with piano after not having played with it in a while, I'm like, oh, whoa, I forgot how to tune to I that forget, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Lonex has this whole book about tuning. He does. What's it called? And I think it's called uh, Exercises in the Justesse, or, <laughs> which is justice, which is not our justice, but oh, yeah. Justesse. It's an intonation book. That's a good question. We could put a link to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing with the book. Go ahead and buy the book if you want. But essentially, what you do in that book is one player, you get together with two saxophones, 
Or you can do it with a drone, but it's more fun to get together with another person if you can, and sometimes you can't. If you're studying someplace, you can, and take turns holding a pitch. So say say you play a G, and then I match it, and I'm just going to stay there once I match your G because uh-huh. you get to set it, but then I have to stay there stubborn, stubbornly, and then you would check the, you know, could go up the whole scale, or you could check the third, the fifth, the octave, and then you could check some of those other intervals, and then we take turns. You know, you would match my pitch, and we would do that. I love and that. And he advocated very strongly for his students to get together, play duets, and work on tuning, work on these tuning exercises. And boy, they are indispensable. You'd be surprised sometimes <laughs> right. what you find out about your instrument and where you think tuning, the, the intonation is. And, and yeah, more, and, and I love that the idea. The idea isn't to make sure you're always at A440. It's to right. match another pitch. Right. And, and like Sue and I who have been out in the working world, it's rare that things sit at A440 for an entire concert. Oh, gosh. I don't never. think it's ever yeah. happened. Yeah. So you have to be able to match pitches, not like, well, the tutor says. Like, it doesn't matter. And the intervals, yeah. yeah. So then you go to another note. Maybe we'll start on B, and then we have to go up to these, or C, and go up to high C, or All E, right. and get to those palm keys. And you just can, you could spend hours doing that. And the thing that's really, really geeky about this is, so when I was studying with Londex in Bordeaux, around the corner from me was another American who was studying that same year with Londex in Bordeaux, and that was Mark Engelbretson. Oh, yeah? And we did, in fact, get together for, like, hours working on intonation and, and playing saxophone duets. We really did play the saxophone, and we didn't just... Hang out and drink wine. So those who don't know, Mark Engelbretson <laughs> is Sue's husband. We, that's where yeah, we yeah. met. Yeah. Oh, that's you met over saxophone duets, basically oh, yeah. yelling at each other. You're sharp. No, you're flat. Come on, you're speeding. You're slowing down. So, there you're <laughs> so not only would these exercises make you a better saxophonist and musician, you could meet your spouse. You could and work out all of that. You know. Dear listener, your soulmate is out there, and they're an intonation exercise away. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. And if, you can, awesome? and, if you can, and if you can stay together through doing that, then... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you still liked each other after an hour of playing saxophone duets and arguing about who was sharp or flat or rushing or dragging, then you can you can be a good couple, I guess. I know. For me, it was, yeah, if you can get your kids through an amusement park and you and your spouse are still together afterwards. That's the, a young good children, Yeah, like, we made it, honey. Oh, my yeah. gosh. If you can get through having young children, end of story, yeah. you're, you've but got a good then, relationship. But until then, intonation exercises are a good... <laughs> A comparable thing Why to, to witness. Yeah, it's a good way to meet a, meet a, oh, a future uh, partner. It's worth the time. They're tedious exercises, but it's so worth the time. So when, when Mark and I first got together and started, you know, playing duets and, you know, intonation exercises and all that stuff, it was really, really hard to play in sure. tune. And I one of the, the comments we often get from our uh, saxophone quartet performances that pleases us the most is when people come up to us and they're like, oh, my God, you can so totally tell that you two have been playing together for decades because it's just... It's like you're reading each other's minds. Yeah, it's so really cool. So he's finally learned to match your intonation, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that, too. So, <laughs> and I think it's one of the things where I love the idea of, like, you know, people are always asking, what's a good book or what's a good online class or online course I can take? Yeah. There's no substitute for sitting with a master teacher. Right. And that does relate to the book we're going to talk about, too. Um, right. Zen and the Art of Archery, which was our right. book club yeah. this week, because the master starts with just simply observe the master yeah. drawing the bow. Yeah. Um, so if you can find a qualified teacher in your area, even if it's not every week, if you can't afford every week or they're not available every week, playing with someone who's great, there's just no substitute for right. it. For intonation, tone, and, and all those sorts of things. Right. Um, but if they can't, if they're in a situation where they can't find a teacher or they're between teachers, um, 
most tuners, I think, will play drones. Yeah. And the apps on the phone do like the most oh, yeah, common tuners. Yeah. And then you oh, can, yeah. And they're fine. Yeah. yeah. I don't like crazy after a while because of the tone, but (laughs) I think I may be a sociopath because I don't mind it. I can do that for hours and I just kind of get lost in it and I kind of enjoy it. Well, that's sort of meditative then in a way, isn't it? It is. It's like breathing. Yeah, I am not a smart man, but I'm I'm easily (laughs) amused by fundamental exercises. So whatever success I've had in this life, it's from my willingness to sit down for hours and not get bored. I admire that. Well, I'm not bright, so I don't realize I should be boring. Yeah, yeah. I can't change a shower head, but this kind of stuff I can sit down and become obsessed with. But well, see, everybody everybody knows their strengths then. That's true. <laughs> weaknesses, I, I do guess. Know. I do. So you call it, somebody to, to change the shower head. I do. I have, a, I have a large Evernote file with all the kind of uh, handy people and plumbers and electricians great. that I can call. That's great. Uh, yeah, cause, so I don't ruin it. But um, So drones are a good place, working with yeah, other people. Absolutely. Um. Are you aware of any other books or methods that address that? Oh, there probably are some, but I don't know any. I'll, yeah. l- I'll look into it. If I can find some, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, but we'll check out that Lundex book. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if it helps to have something to look at rather than just kind of having to make it up, that's fine. Yeah. You know, Leduc published it. It's exercises of, yeah, we'll, we'll put some, a link. At, yeah, it's something for French. It's something, yeah. Something, it's in make, French. Yeah, just. has to do with tuning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say in the jazz world, um, those of us that are that study with the traditional jazz schools that are heavy into transcription, there yeah. is a slight danger that some of the heroes mm. didn't play perfectly in tune. Um, so what do you do when you copy them? Then? Well, what's you interesting, that's yeah. interesting. So I, I got in a huge, um, oh. Discussion? No, kick of, I was playing a ton of uh, Art Pepper. And there's a couple oh. notes where Art Pepper would sit a little low. It's just part of that affectation. Yeah. And by admittance, and his his second wife or third wife, I don't remember which, um, she posted on social media, was said like he was kind of very natural. At, he didn't spend a lot of time practicing the saxophone. Okay. So he was an amazing musician. I love his records, but so I was mimicking these to the T. And at one point, my mentor said, "Oh, then when I was not playing that, I was like, oh, Wally, man, you're." That note's really flat. Oh, well, Wally, that note's really sharp. Uh, and I'd say, oh. And I realized I was playing it like that transcription. I yeah. said, oh, well, Art Pepper played it out of tune. And he said, Wally, you ain't Art Pepper. <laughs> so Woo! so I had to like realize, okay, <laughs> do the transcriptions, live in the shadow and, so you, and mimic these people. You played them at that pitch that and he did. And then I would go back and, and then play with a more fundamentally correct thing. And there are other players, yeah. there was times... Um, I'm not going to use any living people. Um, but there's some others that play very sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and transcribe, yes, match it, but then take the solo, maybe take the solo out of context and maybe do a little bit of time with the tuner as well. Yeah, so um, you don't learn bad pitch from somebody who didn't necessarily focus on I got some bad habits matching <laughs> yeah. some of my heroes. Yeah. And then I realized, then you'd go sit in with your big band or something like that and realize like, oh, that's... Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah, in the transcription, live it, love it, breathe it, and then pull out and work on some fundamentals as well. Yeah, I remember um, playing in uh, the jazz ensemble when I was at Northwestern, and one uh, one time I was a little woo. Uh, Don Owen stops the band and he looks at me and he's like, "Sue Fancher, I want you to play with the same kind of pitch integrity in jazz ensemble that you do when you play classical music." Because I was just being a little bit. Loose with the pitch because, right. you know, it's jazz, right? But, uh-uh, no. Uh-uh, yeah. No, nope, doesn't fly. Got to play in tune. Yeah, and uh, there are, I guess that also would go to the argument that some would say that jazz is a type of folk music in some respects. Hmm. Um, we have it at the Folk Festival here in, in yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, which should also be in tune, right? Yeah, well, Unless, there's... 
Well, there's certain kinds there's that are, charming yeah. idiosyncrasies in the genre, yeah. especially with the older players. But in the modern day, like, you know, players like Paul or uh, Nenzella or, you know, the, these players that we review, a lot of them are really, their pitches just spot on. Yeah. And if you want to play with the, you know, the best players, you got to be able to play in yeah. tune. Well, and everybody plays a note out of tune. I'm just trying to think of like some of my recordings. If, if I have a note out of tune someplace, um, I'm not sure I would want someone copying that. <laughs> right. So it could be with some of those jazz uh, recordings where it's out of tune that where they were standing, it didn't sound out of tune to whatever they were I'm tuning sure, to. Yeah. Or either that or they meant it. Or they were just out of tune. It yeah. was a mistake because they were thinking about something else. And, and when I listen yeah. for pleasure, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. No, but of course when you not. do transcription, maybe just notice. Then when thinking, you go back yeah. to them, yeah. Don't develop bad habits. Well, like, and in, in jazz, when you're you're doing a lot with the pitch, you know, because you're you're playing around with it and scoops and and things like that. And my pet peeve with with some younger players is they don't get to the pitch. If they're like sliding, I'm like, oh my gosh, get to the pitch. So then I'm like I don't know, somehow put at ease that you at least knew where the pitch was and you were yeah. playing with it and not just Johnny Hodges flat. would at least imply where the pitch is yes, going. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the other thing with the young players is the ones, you can tell the ones that don't listen to jazz because they are constantly bending and scooping. It's too and much, like, yeah. And like, yeah. there's not that many bends and scoops in jazz. I mean, yes, right. Johnny Hodges would yeah. soakily bend the notes beautifully, but... In modern jazz, there's not that much. That's so when I, I feel hear, like, yeah, when we're when we're yeah playing jazz and a little younger or a little yeah. less experienced, harder, we tend harder, to scoop everything. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, horrible. yeah. It's a yeah, telltale yeah, sound. Yeah. Like you don't actually listen to jazz, do you, Johnny? <laughs> I love jazz. You love playing what you think is jazz. <laughs> so I'll put a link in the show notes. Work on your intonation. Work on the drums. Yeah. Get together. Play duets. Play in a quartet if you can. A saxophone oh, quartet. Oh gosh, if you can do that, that'd be great. And duets that, probably the most transparent setting yeah. for tuning because there's no place to hide. And you can <laughs> and do it with a, a future spouse or you can actually ru ruin a friendship as well if you're not careful. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> and carry a tuner with you so that way you can see I'm right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then see how well that works out for you later in life. Oh, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> It's such a touchy topic too. You ever notice like it's it's when you yeah, are in a chamber reason, setting, if yeah. you're like, oh, I won't use any names. Oh, Larry, I think you're a little sharp in that note. No one says, okay. You always get like the the guard comes up. Well, that's where I hear it because that's what. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's something address yeah, with care. Like, why. so yeah. I always approach it like, oh, I notice um, we have a slight difference of opinion and pitch here. Um, what do you think? Let's tune that note. Is what we say. Yeah. Oh, that's. Hey, can we just go tune this note because that didn't sound right? There you and go. we don't name names. Yeah. We don't, just J'accuse. <laughs> yeah, because I will say, um, I forgot when I was in the army band. There was a guy that <laughs> I made a comment like, oh yeah, that was uh, you're really sharp on that note. And he, and he gave me this look. And it was a friend. But he yeah. said, he was like, you can insult my girlfriend. You can insult my face. You don't insult another man's intonation. I was like, oh, okay, Sarge. Um, you're sharp, but no. But never mind. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I backed down fast. Well, of course you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not stupid. Yeah, I know. So we'll, we'll continue to have um, uh, more great playing tips on how to lose friends as well as we go on. Yeah. Now, in the book club second, now we started yeah. the book club last episode. We did. And we reviewed uh, Inner Game of Tennis. Yeah. And we're kind of on a peak performance kick. Yeah. And now we've gotten even slightly more esoteric. So what book did we... That's a good way of putting it, Wally. Did we read this week? Yeah, Zen in the Art of Archery. Yes, by... Who can say that name? Eugene Harrigal? Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure it should be more German in its pronunciation. Well, again, I don't know. <laughs> it's H-E-R-R-I-G-E-L. Right. I'm going to say Harrigal because I'm... I think that works. Because I'm in We're the American. South. Harrigal. Yeah. So Eugene Harrigal was a German philosophy professor that had an opportunity to go teach in Japan 
when he studied the art of archery. So tell us about it, Sue. <laughs> tell you about this book. Well, this book was required reading freshman first semester of freshman year at Northwestern in a course taught by Paul Berliner in ethnomusicology. Paul Berliner. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Is that what yeah, I Yeah, well, he, I think he's still teaching ethnomusicology or world music is what it was some often called um, at Duke University. He's either still teaching or recently retired, but I think okay. he's still teaching there. Yeah, but he's written books and traveled the world and, and uh, he's a very famous ethnomusicologist. Okay. Yeah. So he, so he required that you guys I didn't realize he was famous when I studied with him. He was just my teacher. So. Right. <laughs> So we had My to read that book. Say the same I'm thing. sure they, do, they, not. Do. they do not. Yeah. And and uh, I remember just having my mind blown by this book because it's basically about Buddhism. Yes. It's trying to describe Buddhism to Westerners who are and not specifically raised in that Zen culture. Buddhism. Zen Buddhism. Yes. yes, because there are other areas of that Buddhism, like. Um, right. I'm trying to think of the places, but they add a whole level of spirituality and mysticism to Buddhism, yeah. and the Japanese do not do that. Right, so this um, is Zen Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have, like, you know, they don't subscribe to the um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead and all the other, like, kind of mysticism added right. on to Buddhism. This is pure Zen Buddhism. Right. Which borderlines on nihilism. At times, it almost feels like. Right. Um, the, the, the idea of nothingness, of no self, that we reach peace when we realize there is no Sue, there is no Wally. Right. There's just the oneness of the universe. Right. Um, which and is we are part of the oneness of the, the universe. Oneness. Yeah. yeah so, this living essence. I don't know what word to really use. And it for does it. jive <laughs> with other religious traditions as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the the idea of the oneness with the, the universe yeah. and the oneness with everything. A little piece of God being in each of us, that kind of idea right. from from the Quakers and Yeah, yeah. And the, the Dalai yeah. Lama actually books, I think it's called The Universe in, a, in an Atom or I forgot the name of the ah, book. Okay. Which kind of addresses that idea right. of how Buddhism even goes with the sciences. Um, I feel like these two books this is going to be overly simple and somebody's going to know these two books and, and take issue with this, but in a way they're getting at the same thing. Um, this one's a little harder to wrap your brain around. Right. Even though he keeps talking about how he's making the language accessible for Westerners, you still end up <laughs> scratching your head going, I have no idea what he's I think talking about. <laughs> accessible via a German philosophy professor writing in 1948. Right. So it was published After in 1948. After time in Japan studying yes. So a German philosophy professor <laughs> writing in the mid-20th century. So yes, accessible yeah. from him. Right. It, it's as light as Nietzsche. Yeah. Right, exactly. But, but it's, yeah, I, I'm, I reread it this past couple of weeks and... I found myself more confused by it now than than uh, the 35 years ago when I read it for the first time, and I can't really say why, Wally. I think because you have more life experience and you just, yeah. Yeah, there's something about it. I was like, wow, I don't understand anything this book is saying. What was it about this book that made me go, wow, this is like, I've never thought, well, probably because I had never thought about that stuff before. Right. And so it was like, got me thinking about, you know, not thinking <laughs> right. and not trying and, and just thinking about it not being about me but being about the music and all of that. And the non-goal-oriented, yeah. non-ego yeah. study. I think that's what I got out of it. And so, non-competition, stuff like that. Right, yeah. so this is the um, um, the German professor that goes to Japan and wants to study Zen specifically, but he basically comes to the conclusion through talking to other people, you can't really learn Zen by just Zenning. Well, Zazen would be that, actually going to you know a 
a Buddhist temple just doing that. Uh, so he, he studies the art of Zen by picking up an art form. And so, his wife studied it by doing flower, flower arranging. So there's, yeah. you, you pick a thing that Tea you... Tea ceremony, flower arranging, yeah, archery. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he chooses archery, not yeah. to learn to shoot a bow and arrow, but to learn the art Zen. of archery, through yeah. the, to learn Zen through that. It's a vehicle. And we could use music the same way. Yeah. And, it's, and he comes to learn it's... I think if I had to kind of summarize what he learns is, like you say, it's not about learning to hit the target. It's all about learning the art form and letting go of the ego and the goal-orientedness and just trusting the teacher, trusting the process and the tradition and just being in the moment yeah. and experiencing. And I, and letting it happen. It happen. letting it happened. Yes, and he gets and, so frustrated with the teacher oh gosh, that yeah. when do I let go? Because his arm starts to tremble. If he lets go too early, it's not right. If he lets go too late, so he doesn't know when to release the arrow. Yeah. Um, and his teacher says, you, you don't. It just happens. Right. And that's a... Uh, and for, as I'm thinking about it, like, I, think, uh, I get it. Wait, no, I don't get it. I get it. Right. <laughs> so while I was reading it, like, he was like, oh, yeah. Wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> and I think anyone who just pretends to get it at face value is kind of being a little pretentious. I think it's a really deep, interesting concept that... Yeah, the book is worth reading. I mean, it's really thought-provoking. Right. I, I, and I and I studied <laughs> Buddhism out in, in Tucson, the desert, uh, Diamond Desert Sangha, where I did meditation and studied um, did. some Buddhism I out there. I didn't know that. Well, um, yeah, well, it was I was in the army... And I'm not a particularly religious person. And I remember um, during the Army Basic Training, we had hand grenade training. Oh. And I had to hold two live hand grenades against my chest as I was going to. And I started thinking, man, I wonder what happens if something you know goes wrong. Yeah. So that sent me on a spiritual journey. Anyway, out in the desert of Tucson studying Buddhism. And these concepts, you kind of get, I think I get it. And then you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And it's, it's I, think anyone is, this, yeah. I think anyone is being disingenuous if they say they just get the idea of nothingness and they got it. Right. Or the lack of ego. Yeah. <laughs> it comes and goes. And, and the Zen yeah. masters will even say this. It's not something that, it's not like a switch necessarily. Yep. We're not all the Buddha yep. where you get it yeah. and then you flip a switch. Now I'm enlightened. It's yeah. something we constantly get a taste of and we chase. And that idea of it happening, not you making it happening. Yeah. I'm absolutely obsessed with and, and so this past week, because of our book club, <laughs> I've been practicing and improvising and trying to not make it happen, trying to let things happen. Right. And not thinking, okay, this week I'm really trying to incorporate this transcription I'm working on into the changes over alone together. I'm trying yeah. to think, can I just let it happen by itself? Yeah. Kind of get out of the way and trust the process. And yeah. I adore this book, but like you, there's times I was like, wait, what? Yeah, this is, I mean, it's a great book. And I was thinking about, you know, the fact that this guy spent four or five years you know, just doing these exercises over and over and over and over. And a lot over. of it was just breathing exercises. Yeah. And his master and would say, when you go home, just practice the breathing. Right. Because and these then, traditional Japanese bows are apparently ginormous and take an incredible amount of strength yeah. to just draw the bow back. So you just can't do that for hours and hours on end. It's a little bit like playing the saxophone. I mean, yeah. there's only so many hours a day you can play that thing. That's true. You know, before you My wife your, would agree, yeah. <laughs> you hurt your hands, you hurt your lips or whatever, right. you know, or... Wow, or your brain. So a lot of what the practice of that is just in the thinking, in the mind, and and in the practice of the breathing. And I think we could do that as saxophonists as well. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a favorite moment in the book? I I love the moment where uh, the master bows because finally it It. released correctly, and he doesn't even know if it hit the target or not, and it's not the point. And it barely grazed it, but it wasn't the point. It wasn't the point. It wasn't the point. So in you know, in a lot of ways, it was a quote-unquote failure, right? If you're really trying to hit the bullseye, right? it was a failure. But it was the first time that he had released the the arrow where he didn't release the arrow. It released, released. 
and it happened in this way. So it has to do with the rebound of the hand and, and the, how the energy is absorbed by the way the, the arrow is released. And if you don't release it properly, you know, it makes your whole body sort right. of have to have this shock of this force. Right. Um, but if you do it correctly, the arm just kind of naturally And the master falls away. bowed, not to the student. Not to the but student, to, the, to it. To it. To, yeah. It, the thing that we're searching for. Yeah, right. And I, and I love that moment. The first time it happens, you're just like, and, and he has to explain it to the student. No, I'm not bowing to you because it, it was a success or a failure, but that, that it did it. The art. And it didn't matter that the <laughs> arrow didn't awesome. hit the target when he finally released it. It was that he had gotten the lesson. Yeah. And my favorite is actually when he goes on vacation, he's very frustrated not knowing when to release the arrow. He's on vacation. And he has to think there's got to be some trick of when to release the arrow. Right. At this height of tension. I'm going to figure it out. And he figures it out. So he finds if he does this trick with his thumb that he doesn't squeeze it too hard, it naturally will slip loose. And it, it was kind of accurate with the, I don't know where he's shooting at on vacation. Um, <laughs> but he's, I believe it's he figures this out on vacation, goes back, and he can't wait to show his master. This. So yeah. he, he raises the bow, knocks the arrow. And he does the thumb trick. Yeah. And I think he even hits the target. Yeah. And the master turns his back. He's And furious. walks away. Because he's, he's, he's missed the point. He's totally missed the point. Yeah. And That's, I find yeah. that, especially huh. in music, when I think, is, is the point to truly improvise and make art? Is the point to have a good solo to impress people? Yeah. Because if it's just about my ego or me forcing the licks in the language I know yeah. into a way that I know will be somewhat pleasing, yes, I can yeah. create a good solo that someone like, oh, yeah, that was good. But I'm not getting to why I love art. Yeah. And some of the best solos, they're not that technically perfect. They're not something that's, quote, burning or someone like, yeah. oh, man, that's super hip. But if I'm truly in the moment and improvising, I may not hit the target. But that's not why I play music. Yeah. And you I, might communicate better. Or yeah. You might actually say something. What an idea. Honest yeah. from yourself. And I love that even playing written music, you know, when... When it's not, you know, you don't think about what you're doing, but you just say something or sing something with a line, just playing a good line. Wow. And the other thing to, to that I, I wanted to point out about this book is it's not trying to say, you know, don't practice or it doesn't take work. You just got to let it go and it'll happen. Of course, it's not saying that. Neither right. of these books are. They're, neither of them is downplaying the need for, you know, repetition and really working at this, just that... Instead of, you know, kind of beating our heads about, you know, up about all these things and judging ourselves, but to just try to achieve the ultimate goal and think less about every little thing that right. we're doing to make the phrase work or doing to make the technique work. And trust the process just and your teacher. Process. Oh, and the analogy of being, being a plant and that you grew from this little seed. So a plant, you don't judge the plant. We talked about this last time right. with the other book. The same analogy was in this book, you know, about being, you know, thinking of yourself as like a tree that's growing. So, you know, you're not what you're going to be and you aren't what you were. Right. You're just here in the now and don't judge it. Don't should about everything. You know, I should this or I should this. Yeah. You know. You'll yeah. should all over yourself. You'll should all over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, yeah, that sapling it needs great. to be the sapling. It can't be anything yeah, else right then. And it shouldn't it be, be anything else right then. And it's got to yeah. trust in the process. I also love, and it got me thinking about that part of the, the Zen arts is there has to be faith in the teacher oh, and trust the process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to trust that you're on the right path and you can't be, you can't let go of the goal if you don't trust the teachers. Yeah. And I, and I thought about that, like how important it is to find a teacher that you trust. You need to find a teacher that you trust. Um, and if you've ever had a teacher that you don't fully trust, it's not a good yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, 
not going to go any further than that. Yeah. But yeah, that, that trusting that you just have to trust in the process. Yeah, and sometimes it's just good luck if you had good teachers. You know, you, if true. you were a kid and you had a good teacher, you know, count your blessings. Because yeah. you know you didn't do anything to find that teacher. I mean, that for my so college true. teacher, I mean, I sought that person out. Right. You know, so you know, I get a little bit of credit, I guess. I don't know, but for my younger year teachers, I just was incredibly fortunate to have great teachers yeah. who uh, gave me good musical training, but also cared um, for what I was doing and for me as a person. So, and yeah. it, kind of, it kind of made me think as a teacher that that. I mean, we know it. If you say you're, you're a teacher, you know you have a lot of responsibility. Awesome. But if you really think about it, it's kind of overwhelming, the responsibility it, yeah. we have as teachers, if you take it seriously. Yeah. And this kind of... Yeah. yeah. You know, Wally, both of these books also pointed out that as a teacher, you should be learning as much as the students. Yes. And I, I really took that to heart, being at this stage of life now as a teacher, that that's right. You know, it's not for me just to feel like I have to know everything and impart knowledge, but also to listen and think about how they're experiencing music and learn from that too. And in fact, we do, we do learn so much from our students. Oh yeah. 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 It's really cool. That is cool. So Zen in the art of archery, not Zen and the art of archery. Zen in the art of archery. Archery. Eugene Harrigal. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. I'll put a link in the show notes. Highly recommend. Yeah. Maybe hit it a couple times within your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got, I got it's different not things a long it book. Time. It's like 100, 107 pages or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a quick read. It's a quick well, read. Not an well, easy read. It's not an easy it's read. It's a short, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I retract that statement. It's not a quick read. Because uh, like you said, there's a couple sentences yeah, I read it twice. Yeah, I keep going back. Yeah, I'm what? like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, reread it and, you know, take what you can from it and the stuff you don't understand. Let it go. Yeah. And there's a strange <laughs> last chapter about sword fighting. That's a, that was kind That's of this right. weird tag non sequitur about not caring about life or death and sword fighting. <laughs> I was like, what? Eugene, what are you talking about? Yeah, right. <laughs> that felt like kind of oddly placed at the but end. But you know, the funny thing is at the end of the uh, um, the tennis book, The Inner Game of Tennis, he tells a story about having this, you know, driving his car into a car bank, a snow bank right. <laughs> in Maine. And it was minus 20 degrees and, and uh, he thought he was going to die. He could have died, you know, because he got stuck in this snowbank. You never know was, if Kathy Bates is going to come rescue you. I know, out in the middle of nowhere. For the, our younger listener, that's based off a Stephen King novel <laughs> called yeah, Misery. Oh, God. Yeah. But, you know, at some, and, and at some point he was like, well, if this is how I'm going to go, this is how I'm going to go. And then, you know, just started to notice the beautiful night around him. And, you know, it was very zen. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, that was morose. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> so he, we, he, it worked out fine. He got he got to a house with a light on, and he was fine. <laughs> right. So, have we picked a book for the the next saxophone book club? What do you think? Oops, I don't know. Do you you got one? I do. Yay! Good. So I was counting on you. This, oh, this is a little bit of a. Um, we're going to get a little bit of grief from some people. Are we? It's called The Devil's Horn. Good. Uh, by Michael Siegel. 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 Okay. Siegel. Okay. Michael, S-E-G-E-L-L. I'll put a link in the show notes. This will be maybe not next episode or maybe two episodes from now. Yeah. Uh, the Devil's Horn, the story of the saxophone from noisy novelty to king of cool. Um, I've never read it. I've heard of it. It's. I've started reading it. It's a great read. It's got a lot of really interesting information and it's well 
written. Okay. A lot of the history of the saxophone stuff is written by, like, they're basically extended doctoral dissertations, and they make me want to gouge my own <laughs> eyes out. This is really interesting, and it's actually written by a journalist that has some good writing skills. There are some academic nerds like, well, that's not historically completely accurate, okay. and he really glosses over Sigurd Rascher's contribution. Yes, the nerds uh, are going to say, well, that's not the most accurate. I don't care. I think it's a really good book. You can learn a lot about the saxophone. Cool. And more I have never read it. I'm going to read it. It's well written. So I'll give you this. I'm going to do the Kindle version. And so let's give readers maybe a month to get okay. through this. And we'll hit the devil's horn next time. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. Until, hey, maybe I can find an audio book so I can listen to it on my driving. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> you mean look for it. listen to something other than the Saxophone Academy podcast? Well, when I'm done with that. I Obviously. drive a lot, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I drive a lot with doing different things these days, driving and picking up kids. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's important. All right. So kids, read from the book club. Yeah. Get your drones going on. Send some questions. And find, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't checked the inbox. But send, if you do have questions for the podcast, email me, Wally at Gate City Sacks, yes. or hit us up on that, and we'll do a mailbag next time. Because I think, I think I have some questions sitting in there. Okay, good. Sounds we'll get good. to them next time. All right. Happy practicing, everyone. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>